in. It's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. It is 4th of July week. That's right. Yesterday was the 4th of July. Today, July 5th, is my Pawpaw's birthday. Uh, rest in peace, Pawpaw. He was born on July 5th a long time ago. Uh, lived to 96 years old. And tomorrow, yes, tomorrow, July 6th, is yours truly. It's my birthday. And so uh, a big week for the Wood family. Uh, it's always been a big week for me. It's 4th of July and my birthday all, and my papa's birthday always coincided with each other. So we would have family over to shoot fireworks, to celebrate my papa, to celebrate uh, my birthday. It was a fun time. This weekend we had a blast. We had people over to the house. Uh, we swam, we enjoyed each other's company. I grilled a lot of burgers and a lot of hot dogs. Uh, and then last night, late last night, we drove and, and set up on a hill in Carnes and we watched uh, fireworks across Knoxville. Pretty cool. Enjoyed it. And now back to uh, regular life uh, today. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, of course, what's in the news, uh, the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, a historical monumental moment for pro-lifers, a uh, historical monumental moment for our country. This is uh, something that, that's been discussed and debated for over uh, close to 50 years, and, uh, and now we're living in a post-Roe era. What does that mean for the state of Tennessee? What does that mean for the country? What does that mean for different states in the Union? Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, attacks and, and graffiti and vandalism happening at pregnancy centers. Uh, so please be praying for uh, your your folks that are working in pregnancy centers across the country. A friend of mine who leads one in Nashville, uh, they were attacked last week. Uh, and, and here's the reality. These attacks are not on pregnancy centers. They're not on organizations. They're attacks on women needing care. Uh, you, you attack a pregnancy center and you put them out of operation for a day or two or a week. What that does is takes away service to moms in need. That's what happens. And so as we think about uh, the decision that, that overturned Roe v. Wade, you have a segment of the population that is operating in hate and malice. Well, eventually, hate and malice poisons its carrier. So with all their hate and malice, they're attacking pregnancy centers, and pregnancy centers are going to keep operating, going to keep serving. But those folks are operating in hate, and, and that's not going to win. It's just not. It's a, it's a losing strategy. If you want to debate the issue of abortion, let's have a debate. If you want to argue politics and policies and what that looks like, and you want to argue how we can better help and serve moms and dads and families in our communities, let's have that discussion. We don't have to have that discussion while you're breaking the windows and graffitiing up buildings. Because you do that, you're not going to get a dialogue. You're just going to get arrested and go to jail. And so be praying for the pregnancy centers around our country. Today I want to start, there's an article, it's a guest essay over at the New York Times, and the title is, What Makes a Fetus a Person? Erica, uh, let's see, Bacacci uh, is a legal scholar, a conservative, a pro-lifer, and she wrote this piece. And so I want to go through it because I, I do think it gives us a glimpse into this is how you have dialogue. If we disagree with policies, with court decisions, then we talk about it like adults, right? I mean, that's what we should be doing. So this piece says, 
Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization has returned the issue of abortion to legislatures. There, pro-lifers will work to ensure that unborn children in every jurisdiction are protected by law. Though individual states can, and already have, sought to protect the most vulnerable human beings through ordinary legislation, constitutional protection of unborn children as equal persons under the law remains the movement's ultimate, if elusive, goal. Making this constitutional case will require rejecting the concept that a rights-bearing person is fundamentally self-owning and autonomous. Indeed, it is precisely the unborn child's state of existential existential dependence upon its mother, not its autonomy, that makes it especially entitled to care, nurture, and legal protection, too. To exclude some human beings from the law's protection because of their size, location, and state of dependency, and post-row, whichever jurisdiction their mother happens to be in, seems to pro-lifers an egregious human rights violation, just the kind we believe the 14th Amendment was meant to prevent. But the reality of the unborn child's utter dependence upon its mother, coupled with the availability of medication abortion, which remains just a click of the mouse away, means that no abortion prohibition on its own is going to abolish abortion. My fellow pro-lifers and I will also need to make the case to expectant mothers and fathers, too, that their unborn children are, like the rest of us, dependent and needy persons, not expendable property. In the way Americans have argued about abortion over the decades, a standoff exists between the right-bearing autonomous person, who, as the Dobbs dissent argues, owns her own pregnant body, versus the fetus that she might view as, uh, as obstructing that autonomy. The philosopher Judith Jarvis Thompson's argument that a woman has a right to decide what shall happen in and to her body, more pithily rendered by my body, my choice, is at base a claim of my body as property. Americans have an understanding of property rights, deriving from the philosophy of John Locke as absolute and unlimited. Today, leftists reject this view of property rights as applied to the economy, yet paradoxically embrace it as applied to a pregnant woman and her unborn child. So, so we have a, some conflict here. You have folks saying, my body, my choice. You have folks saying whatever is in my body is mine and I can do with whatever I want to. And those same folks, when it, when it comes to property rights, when it comes to, say, my dad's farm and the 100 acres he has in southern middle Tennessee, they would say, well, he shouldn't have that. And my dad would say, well, it's, it's mine. It's my property. And they would say, well, you can't do whatever you want to on your property. So, so they... They don't appreciate John Locke's version of property rights when it comes to actual property. But when it comes to their own body, they say, that's my property and I can do whatever I want to to it. So, so as we think about this, pro-lifers sometimes respond in a way that accepts rather than challenges the idea that people are autonomous. They can depict the fetus as floating alone, independent from her mother. Similarly, occasional calls on Twitter for the prosecution of women who have had abortions can imagine the unborn child this way, too. But abortion is not just like ending the life of your toddler, just as restricting abortion is not just like enforcing bone marrow donations. Both analogies put forth by abortion opponents and abortion rights supporters, respectively, fail by disregarding the natural and existential dependency of the unborn child upon its mother and enveloping nurturance and protection that, ultimately, only the child's mother can give. In the years before Roe, the pro-life case was more straightforward. As the historian Daniel Williams has shown in his 
uh, Defenders of the Unborn, the pro-life movement in the late 60s originated as a campaign promoting human rights. The message was that every human being has a right to life by virtue of being human. Human life, human being, human person were used interchangeably among pro-lifers, and Dr. Williams showed the movement envisioned a humane society that would stand in solidarity with both mother and child. Indeed, that equivalence between a human being and a human person, historically speaking, is what scholarly proponents of fetal personhood lean on to defend their originalist constitutional claims that person in the 14th Amendment includes unborn human beings. As the appendix to the court's opinion in Dobbs show, the 19th century, nearly every state's code, listen to this, in the 19th century, nearly every state's code in various words included prohibitions against intending to procure an abortion in a woman with a child. And these laws were often part of state codes, quote, crimes against the person. And the drafters of the 14th Amendment knew how to exclude the unborn from the category of persons. The drafters did so when they defined which persons were entitled to citizenship. They said all persons born or naturalized in the United States. They did not include the word born with any person in either the due process or equal protection clauses of the amendment. But with the 14th Amendment, jurisprudence of Roe, and especially the 1992 Planned Parenthood versus Casey ruling, came to focus on the personal autonomy of women seeking abortions, which implicitly demoted the legal status of their unborn children. Now, Roe, grounding its holding in the, quote, right to privacy, cited longstanding family privacy and autonomy cases. Casey drew out the autonomy theme more explicitly, saying this, quote, these matters involving the most intimate and personal choices a person make may make in a lifetime choices central to personal dignity and autonomy are central to the 14th Amendment, end quote. Women's autonomy or absolute self-ownership required the right to exclude her child from her body. Furthermore, Casey claimed, as the dissent in Dobbs underscores, that such autonomy was necessary for women's equal participation in economic and social life. But another vision for women's equality and liberty exists that challenges rather than accepts the ideal of autonomy. The 18th century English philosopher, author of A Vindication of the Rights of Women and Her Heirs, uh, who were in the 19th century American women's rights movement, sought civil and political rights so that they might better fulfill their responsibilities to others. They said this, quote, the only method of leading women to fulfill their peculiar duties is to free them from all restraint by allowing them to participate in the inherent rights of mankind, end quote. So this viewed persons as individuals justly protected by rights as she as the philosopher vied for equality. She urged both women and men not to dismiss their responsibility to others. For her, maternal and paternal responsibilities begin not when the child was born, but when he or she was still developing in the mother's womb, achieving the kind of moral maturity that would regard service to to and care of others as life-giving and fulfilling what was life's goal. As the child shares her mother's body, the mother depends upon many others for her own sustenance and flourishing. This is the case in every pregnancy, of course, but the need of the expectant mother becomes more acute when she is poor or ill or her life or health is in danger by the pregnancy. The woman with child means two vulnerable patients for doctors to care for and for insurance to support. Workplace accommodations and financial assistance, paternal duties expected, not ignored. Without robust societal support of pregnant women and child-rearing families, too many women will be left to regard their unborn children as trespassers on their already taxed lives rather than un- unbidden gifts that often that open new horizons to them. These women need society's utmost assistance, not abortion 
or scorn. So I know that was a long-winded article, but look, here's the reality. We as pro-lifers should be the champions of life, certainly, the unborn. We should be the champions of family leave. We should be the champions of uh, maternity care and, and mother care and father care. And we should be the champions of that, creating systems in our in our society that do foster the nuclear family, creating systems in our society that foster motherhood, that foster fatherhood. But the interesting thing is, when, when we have this dialogue and this debate, abortion proponents act as if pro-lifers don't want that to be. Right? They'll say things like, well, if you're going to to say every life needs to be born and every we shouldn't have abortion, then you also, we're going to start requiring men to step up and bear the responsibility. Yeah, amen to that. You're not going to get an argument from a pro-lifer on that. When they say things like, well, we should have uh, maternity leave and paternity leave for parents that are facing parenthood. Yeah, yeah amen, you I, I think you're not listening because, you, you know, abortion proponents are going to think we're going to go, no, we don't want that. No, the reality is pro-lifers want to foster a, an environment that would be conducive to parenting and to the family unit. You know, so, so we hear these arguments. And they say things like that about pro-lifers is if we don't want family situations to flourish. But here's the reality. Allie Beth Stuckey, who is a a great follow online, she said this, when pro-lifers offer to adopt babies, leftists say it's creepy and white saviorism. When we run clinics that provide free supplies and services to pregnant women so they can keep their babies, they bomb them. It's almost, almost like the only choice they support is abortion. And that's the reality, folks. So they want to say things like, well, if you'll just do this or if you just do that, and and, and guess what? We're doing this and that. And they still attack. Well, why aren't y'all adopting more babies? And then we go out and adopt and they say, oh, well, you just want to, yeah, it's white supremacy, you adopting kids. Well, if you really cared about these moms, you would do things for them after they're born. And we have pregnancy centers all over the country doing just that. And what are they doing? They're, they're attacking these pregnancy centers, like physically attacking them. Because it's almost as if they believe the only choice is abortion. And now what they're doing is they're celebrating businesses and corporations that are funding abortion. Instead of creating a, a, an environment for parenthood, they're, they're taking kids away from these parents via abortion. We'll be back. So we, we're you know over a week away, week out from the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe. And there's been something like 40 plus attacks on pregnancy centers around the country. And, and you've seen a little bit of news, not much, uh, because it hurts their, it hurts the narrative. You know, it hurts the agenda. But we have seen it in in some cases. We we've seen, uh, you know, Fox and, and other places have covered it. Con- more conservative leaning news outlets have covered it. 
But it's interesting to me, we, we have a, a society now, we, abortion proponents will say one thing, but then do the other. So they'll say, you need to support moms after they have a baby. All you are is pro-baby. You need to support moms after, you ha- after they have a baby. We do that, and then they, they still attack us. Well, men need to step up and, and do, you know, and, and, and at Hope, we're having men, dads classes once a month. We're calling them into the challenge. We're encouraging them. We're challenging them to step up and take on responsibility. But that's not good enough either. Why? Because for them, abortion is the golden calf. It is the, it is the, the right that beats all rights. There is a segment of our population that truly believes Without abortion, women are lesser than. There's a segment of our population that believe without abortion, women have no ability to climb the career ladder or to achieve the dreams, goals that are in front of them. Now, we, we know that's not true. My wife has had four children. She's doing just fine. She could literally go do whatever she wants to do. Successful. Has an entrepreneur spirit. Works hard. And I know a lot of women like that. I mean, we have a Supreme Court justice right now that has, I believe she has seven kids, six or seven kids, and is on the Supreme Court. So these are things that, that are going on, but, but they don't want you to hear about that. What they would rather do is celebrate Dick's Sporting Goods, and they would rather celebrate Amazon and celebrate Tesla and celebrate these businesses and organizations, Disney, that are paying for their employees to go get abortions. So, so what these corporations have done, and I've just named a few, what these corporations have done is said, if you're an employee and you want to get an abortion and you happen to live in a state that doesn't allow that, we will pay up to $4,000 to fly you, to drive you, to go to another state and get the abortion. Now, why are they doing that? Now, now these, these corporations will have you believe. They'll have you to believe that they actually care about their employees, that they're doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Here's the thing. What do you think is going to cost more and what do you think is going to be more difficult? Paying $4,000 for your employee to go get an abortion and then be back in the cubicle in about a week. Or... Your employee getting pregnant, choosing life, and you paying that employee maternity leave or paternity leave, and you giving them the benefits that they so deserve as a parent now, and you fostering an environment in your organization that would allow parents to flourish. You see, we, we hear things like, well, you can't have your baby and your dreams, right? We're, we're told that. You're going to have to pick one or the other because there's no way you can have your baby and your dreams, Why is that the case? Why do you think that is? Maybe it's the corporations that you're celebrating for paying for abortions. Maybe it's their fault. You ever think about that? Oh, no, it's pro-lifers' fault because you're making us have babies. It's forced birth and all this nonsense. No, maybe. Maybe it's because businesses and corporations aren't creating environments where, where parenthood can flourish. I mean, it seems to me, many of us, regardless of what side of the aisle we're on, 
would agree that we need to be better in that aspect. Yet we're told you can't have your baby in your dreams. You can't climb that career ladder. That's the weird thing about leftists. It's the weird thing about the extreme abortion proponents is the organizations and businesses that, that represent capitalism that they hate so much. Yet they say you can't climb the career ladder of that capitalist society that we hate so much if you have your baby. And so now what they're saying is we're, we're going to weigh this out. And which one would we prefer? We would prefer that you climb the career ladder in the system that we despise. That's kind of odd as we think through that. Now, now, I'm a capitalist. I believe in that. I believe in you can become anything you want. You can work hard. You can make as much money as you want. You can put in the time. But I also believe in that process you're going to make decisions. And you're going to weigh out what is more valuable. What would you prefer? And for the Wood family, what, what always is going to be the priority is the Wood family. Period. And so, are we going to create environments that celebrate that or not? I mean, what are you telling young ladies that are, that are you know, graduating college, that are about to go into the workforce? What are you telling them today when you're celebrating a company for saying, we'll, we'll pay you $4,000 to get rid of that pregnancy so we can get you back to work. What, what are you telling them? You think that's, that's pro-woman? Hey, woman, go get, go get rid of that pregnancy so you can get back on the assembly line. Is that what we want to do? Is that the society that we're trying to foster? Hey, hey, go take care of that pregnancy so we can get you back in that cubicle so you can produce for us, not for your family. Look, look, these are hard things to say and, and, and hard things to hear right now, but, but this is where we are as a society, and, it, and it's heartbreaking. I have three daughters. The last thing I want them to hear is, go on, honey. Go work. Don't worry if you get pregnant because, because your boss is going to go pay you $4,000 to end that pregnancy so you can get back to work. Is that women's empowerment? Because if, if that's feminism and if that's women's empowerment, I don't want anything to do with it for my daughters. You know what I tell my daughters? You can be anything you want to be. And you can do all of that while you're a mom. You don't have to give up one for the other. And we see example after example after example of that. So which would you rather them believe and hold on to? And frankly, we're going to have to make some tough choices moving forward. Look, it's, it's virtually impossible to boycott every business or organization that that disagrees with you i mean it's just it's very difficult but here's what i want you to know a a lot of these folks are, are claiming they're doing this out of the goodness of their heart and for women's empowerment and because 
they, they love these women and they want to give that option to these women. No, they're doing this because Twitter told them to. And they're afraid of being canceled in today's society. That's why they're doing it. Trust me. It's nonsense. No one, I don't care if you're pro-choice or pro-life, no one should be celebrating billion-dollar billion, billion dollar organizations for paying $4,000 to get somebody to go take, quote-unquote, take care of their pregnancy. That, that, they're no better than the dude that is telling his girl, hey, here's some money, go take care of that. You think that's empowering. You think that's supporting. We have women telling us in every study, if I just had a support system, I would have this baby. And now we have businesses saying, oh, honey, we'll, we'll support you. Go take care of it. Here's $4,000. Now get back to work. Is that what you want? Is that the society we want? What if a, a, a businessman sat down, a, an owner of one of these companies, a CEO, and said, you know how we're going to support? We're going to have the best maternity leave in, this, in the world. We're going to have child care on the premises. We're going to celebrate family and not just throw it out there like, oh, we're a family. Now here's 4000 Go Go take care of that pregnancy. No, we're truly going to put our money where our mouth is. And we're going to foster parenthood in our organization. That's what we should be calling for. That's empowering. We'll be back. Does life hit you so hard that you've been knocked down? Have you gone too far to find the middle ground? So, look, you know, I think about every, every time when I, when I do this show, I have a, a rough framework in my mind about what I'm going to talk about. Now, that last segment was something that I've been thinking about for a long time but haven't really put into words. So hopefully you understand what I'm saying. We should not be a people that celebrate businesses or governments that look at women and say, here, here, honey, here's $4,000. Go take care of that pregnancy. Is that the society that you want? Is that feminism? Is that women's rights? You think Susan B. Anthony is, is going, yes, we did it. We finally, we finally reached the place where the CEOs would, would give us money to go abort our children. Folks, that's not empowering. And the sad thing is it's not just businesses. It's the government. The mayor of Nashville came out and said, we, we're going to have to do more with our, our benefits for our employees. We're going to have to make a way for our employees to go get abortions in other states because Tennessee... You know, they would say Tennessee's extreme. Right now in Tennessee, we have the six-week ban. And when the trigger law takes effect, it's going to be an outright ban on abortion. And so now what they're trying to do is not only businesses using their own money to pay for abortion, but now the government is trying to figure out ways how they can use tax dollars to fund abortion. Again, instead of coming out and saying, hey, hey, we... Because of this overturning of Roe, we're going to see less abortions, which means more babies. And here's what we're going to do as an organization and as a company. We're going to provide child care. 
Here's what we're going to do as a government. We're going to provide child care for our, our, our employees. Here's what we're going to do as an organization and as a government. We're going, to, we're going to provide maternity leave that would allow them to, to flourish with their children. We're going to create family-friendly environments. We're not just going to say we're family. We're going to be family. But instead, here's 4,000. Go take care of it. And then we expect you back here in a week, back to work. Go women. That, is, that, is that the direction we're going? And, and look, I, I don't get overly political on this show. I try not to. But the current administration, when it comes to this issue, is, is missing the boat in a, in a major, major way. Because let's put, let's, let me put my political science hat on for just a second, okay? If you believe the bulk of the populace falls somewhere in between pro-life and pro-choice. So it, one could argue the bulk of the populace believes there should be some restrictions. The bulk of the populace believes that, that first trimester abortions are okay, second and third trimester abortions are not okay. The bulk of the populace would say we, we shouldn't fund abortion the bulk of the populace would probably agree that businesses and government entities should not fund abortion. So one could argue, from a political standpoint, if you're looking to win elections, the midterms are coming up, all you would have to do is go to the middle on some of these issues. It would be a really easy win, I think. Now look, I'm for going all in when it comes to pro-life. There's no middle ground for me. But for a lot of people in our society, there is a middle ground there. Then there's a segment where there's no middle ground. It's all abortion all the time. And so one would think there's an opportunity here for a middle-of-the-road politician to carve out that lane, whether it be a Tulsi Gabbard, or there's definitely some Republican politicians that would fall in this camp as well. But instead... What is the White House doing? Well, they're doubling down. The other day, the, the White House highlighted a website, pushed out a website, and it's abortionfinder.org, and this website actually includes information for minors, children 15 years or younger, on how they can bypass parental notification laws. That's what our White House is doing. So instead of saying, look, we, we know we have a large uh, segment of the population that, that wants to see no abortion. We have uh, a segment of the population that wants all abortion all the time. But we have a large swath of people in the middle. You know, one thing Bill Clinton did back in the 90s is after that first term, he put his finger in the air and he was like, OK, I can I can tell things are shifting in, in this country. And so what did he do? He went toward the middle. Not necessarily because that's what he believed, but because politically it made sense. And now we are so polarized as a nation, there's not a lot of politicians that are willing to do things that make sense on both sides, if we're honest. But the White House pushing a website that is actually instructing children how to bypass parental consent laws in their state. That's insane. 
absolutely insane. We have cabinet members of this White House, and we have sitting senators like Elizabeth Warren and AOC in, the, in, the, in Congress actually saying things like this. You know what? We're looking at every option on the table. One of those options are looking at, at building abortion clinics on federal land within the states that are restricting abortion. Are you kidding me? So if I go to the Smokies, the national park, we're going to have abortion clinics there now? Is that Now, that's not going to happen in Tennessee. I'm just letting you know. I've had conversations with politicians since this news has come out. Not going to happen here. But, but the fact that, that they're even saying, we're, we're looking at these things. Elizabeth Warren said, maybe we need to put tents up on some of these federal lands and we can provide abortion. What? That's women's empowerment? Hey, go to your local national park. You'll find a tent there. You can get an abortion. How's that going to work? And first off, that's using taxpayer dollars. We have the Hyde Amendment that, that doesn't allow that. So what are you talking about? But, but I'm the crazy one? I'm the extremist? Because, because I believe that all life has value, because I believe that in, in fostering a, a, an environment that celebrates family and parenthood, I'm the crazy one? When, when you literally just said... Elizabeth Warren, we should put tents on national parks to provide abortions. You know, what did they say? They said, if Roe is over, ever overturned, we're going to go back to back alley abortions. That was the argument before Roe v. Wade. We had women in, in, in the alleys of our country using coat hangers and, 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 and performing abortions on themselves. That's what we were told. There's not a lot of data to back that up. But that was the, the, the lie that was spread. Fast forward to 2022, Roe is overturned, and now they're posting videos on TikTok of how to abort at home. These are doctors posting this. These are abortion proponents posting this. So abortion proponents are saying, if Roe is overturned, those pro-lifers are going to have you back in those alleys doing self-abortions. And, and, and here's the reality. What happened? Roe was overturned, and the pro-abortion proponents are teaching you how to do your abortions at home. Is, is that what we want? Again, is that feminism? Is that empowering women? Is that pro-woman? I mean, I would say not. I would say not. But, but these are the conversations that have been happening over the last week and a half. Now, now I don't know if we're going to get past the point of the yelling and screaming at each other and attacking to actually have dialogue. But, but I have a feeling that Democrats, Republicans, independents, pro-lifers, pro-choicers, I have a feeling many of us could come together and say, at the very least, we need to do more for, for families with children. We need to foster an environment in our society that would celebrate family and parenthood instead of attacking it at every opportunity they get. We should not be fostering a society that says 
I don't know how you say it. When, when, when you say some of the society says capitalism is bad, capitalism has ruined our country, and at the same time they're celebrating large capitalist ventures and organizations that are paying for abortions. And at the same time, they're saying you can't have your baby and your dreams. And, and in our system, you need to climb the career ladder and you can't do that with a baby. Well, well, that doesn't make any sense. And then we have conservatives that, that are, we can't say capitalism is the greatest thing that's ever been. And to heck with our employees, we're going to treat them terrible. No, this is an opportunity for pro-life conservatives. Pro, this is an opportunity for a lot of people to come together and say, at the very least, we should do a better job with maternity leave, paternity leave, with, with child care, with child tax credits, with celebrating family. This is the time to do that. But will we? Will we? Because the reality is, the, the studies that no one wants to talk about, and I'm not going to have time to go into it today, fatherless homes, if you are a product of a fatherless home, now I know a lot of people that have been a product of that and they've done well, but when you look at the statistics, if you are a product of a fatherless home, your chances of suicide, mental health issues, poverty, dropping out of high school, all of that goes through the roof. Unemployment drug abuse if the father's not present why are we as a society not celebrating family and and cultivating environments that would lend itself to sustaining our culture and society we have to celebrate families if we're going to do that we'll be back so to finish up today look when, when we think about moving forward in a post-Roe era, there, there's a lot of conversations that go on. It, it can include legislation. It can include what do pregnancy centers do? How can we help moms? How can we help babies? How can the church step up? All of that. But when we talk about a post-Roe era, it has to involve and include a conversation on how we as a society, a capitalist society, where you work and you earn, we have to have a conversation about how we cultivate and foster environments that lend themselves to family. I mean, we must. And I don't know what that looks like. And some, some businesses and, and, and folks are going, well, I don't have the money to do that. I don't have the money to pay for their insurance. I don't have the money to pay for child care. I don't have money to, to do all these things. But are we talking about it? Maybe you don't have the money to do all those things, but are you allowing your employees to take time off? Are you allowing mom and dad to go see their child play a ball game? Are you allowing mom and dad to be present at the things that matter for their children? Are you allowing the mom and dad to feel as if, hey, I can have a child and still work here? Are we doing those things? Or are we creating environments that degrade the family because here's the reality if i'm working for a for a large corporation if i'm working for a large business and i'm learning that 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 business is now saying 
to all the employees, if you find yourself pregnant, we'll throw you $4,000. You can go take care of that pregnancy and get back to work next week. That isn't a family environment. My, my oldest girl is, is nine years old. If she found herself in a tough spot one day and, and, and we filmed it and it got out that, that dad looked at her, looked at his little girl and said, here's 4,000, go take care of the baby. I'll see you next week. Would that make me a good dad? Now, some people are going, look, I don't, I don't want boss to be a dad. My boss is not my dad. Yeah, I get that. But, but oftentimes in these organizations and these businesses, they say we're like family here. Well, that's no family I want to be a part of. And we need to call them on it. Republicans, Democrats, independents, pro-lifers, pro-choicers, all of us should be able to look and say that's not okay. No, we... We may agree or disagree with the overturning of Roe, but what we do not agree with is corporations that have billions of dollars saying, here's 4000 go take care of it. That's not celebrating women. That's not empowering women. That's not the mantra of, I am woman, hear me roar, anything you can do, I can do better. No, no, that is patting them on the head and saying, now get back to work. Is that the environment you want? Me, personally, no, it's not. It's terrible. It devalues women. It devalues babies. It devalues men. And it devalues family. And every metric, every data point, every study shows the most ideal scenario is mom in the home, dad in the home, with the children together. Look, I, there's, a, there's a lot of great single moms out there. There's a lot of great single dads out there. There's a lot of folks that have grown up in terrible situations that came out in, on top and, and have done okay and done better than okay. But when you look at the data, when you look at the metrics, it's important to note what happens when that home doesn't have a mom or that home doesn't have a dad. We should be encouraging True women's empowerment, which would say, you know what? You can have your baby and your dreams. You can do whatever you want to and be a mom at the same time. You know what? If you want to just be a mom, you can just be a mom. These are things that we should be doing and celebrating in our society. And, and if you're a politician listening to this, this is what you should be talking about. Quit refusing to do the hard thing and talk about the hard things. I'm glad you're pro-life. I'm glad you fought to see Roe overturned. But what we do now is in a post-Roe era, we create environments that would celebrate family. Unapologetically so. There will be no business that will look at my daughter and say, oh, you're pregnant, here's 4000 Go take care of it. I'll see you next week back at work. No. Absolutely not. We're better than that. And, and these organizations are taking their cues, these politicians are taking their cues from a Twitter mob that represents very few people. But that's where they take their cues. They go into that conference room and say, oh, did you see today on Twitter they said this? So we must pay for abortions. 
That's not what the populace wants. Go against the grain and do something that matters. You're never going to regret doing something for moms, dads, and families. Period. And throwing $4,000 at them and saying, go travel and take care of that pregnancy, that's not doing anything good for them. It's damaging. Be better. We'll talk to you next week.